Hey, it's Otis here. Before we get to the bedtime reading, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new show. It's called The Daily Book Club, a daytime companion to Sleepy, where you hear entire books one chapter at a time, one day at a time. Simple as that. So if Sleepy is how you uh, wind down your day, The Daily Book Club is a great way to start your day. There's new episodes daily. Uh, I read in a slightly peppier voice so that you can get really lost in these amazing stories that have stood the test of time. Or, just like Sleepy, you can sit back and relax and zone out to a good book. The first book we'll be reading is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. Story is, in the 1920s, four women unfulfilled with life take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. I think that this is a perfect story for the season, and you can hear it now. Find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to bring you even more stories. So go subscribe to The Daily Book Club to hear what happens next. Thanks. This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well, and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, they have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included. And there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. 
This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on patreon.com. Jillian, Monica Casillas, Lindsay Amrock, Madeline Elise, Catherine Felice CG, Hilary Valendia, Bob Garland, and Amy Skinner. Thank you all so much for being a part of making this show. And for those of you who don't know, the names that I just read, they're all new supporters of the show on Patreon.com, which is an amazing site where you can go on and support artists that you like and the art that they make. So if the show works for you, and it has helped you sleep better through the night, maybe consider going on and pledging a dollar a month, two dollars a month. Five dollars gets you access to a special Patreon poetry feed where I send you poetry readings twice a month, every other Monday, just for donating. Every dollar goes a really, really long way, and it's becoming such a cool community um, the more patrons we get, and I just love hearing from everyone. So... If you're interested in uh, donating to the Sleepy Podcast and being a part of making this show and having your name read in the opening credits, then you can go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. That is patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the Sleepy cover art was designed by Gracie Kanan. So for tonight's episode, we're actually going to be reading another book that was sent to us by our other amazing sponsor, Page One Books, which is a great subscription service that sends you books based on your preferences. The last one that they sent was this beautiful copy of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which with springtime coming on, I think is a really, really fantastic read to look forward to warmer weather. And we did read uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer a long time ago, so maybe it's time we circle back and do Huck Finn. But kind of more importantly, I would really like to dedicate this show to um, a stranger that I met recently. Um, the story is I was, I was in Boston, and I, I do live storytelling. If any of you have listened to The Moth, where people go up and tell stories on stage... Um, that's something I do. And if you haven't heard of it, look up the Moth Podcast because there's some amazing stories and it's fantastic. Well, anyways, I was going up on stage that night in Boston and I have been doing a lot of traveling. So I've been running around and I didn't have a whole lot of time to really tailor my story when I was writing it. And I was in a coffee shop in Alston. My story when I was practicing it 
was a little longer than I wanted it to be by about probably a minute and there was about two hours to the show so I was kind of freaking out a little bit because I had been looking at it way too long so I looked around the cafe and there was a person who looked like she was a writer I kind of profiled her she was sitting there reading, um, writing in a notebook and I thought she does look like a writer and and I really need someone who hasn't read this story to kind of brutally cut pieces from it. Anyways, I walked up to her and I asked her if she was a writer and if I could buy her coffee and she could edit my piece really quick. Turns out she was a writer and she had worked in publishing, so I got very lucky. She edited my piece and it was absolutely perfect and... Um, I told her afterwards that I had this podcast called Sleepy, where I read old books to help people sleep, and she said, are you serious? Wow, your voice sounded familiar. She was a listener of the show, as was her fiancé, and that absolutely blew my mind. Um, so uh, we introduced ourselves, and her name is Savannah, so this episode is especially for Savannah because... She was a perfect stranger who did not need to take the time to edit some crazy dude's uh, story that he was about to tell in two hours on the stage, but she did, and she did an amazing job, and she's a really, really nice person, um, and little interactions like that really kind of keep you fueled, I think, and keep you happy, and I think it makes me want to go out and talk to more strangers when it can seem kind of scary sometimes but you just never know what people will say what their stories are what your random connections might be so maybe while you're going to sleep think about talking to a stranger tomorrow maybe you'll meet someone as cool as savannah okay that's enough of me yapping now it's time for you to get real comfortable Feel yourself melt into your bed. Fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Close your eyes and let me read to you. Chapter One You don't know about me. Without you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't no matter. That book was made by Mr. Mark Twain, and he told the truth mainly. There were things which he stretched, but mainly he told the truth. That is nothing. I never seen anybody but lied one time or another, without it was Aunt Polly or the widow or maybe Mary. Aunt Polly... Tom's Aunt Polly, she is, and Mary, and the widow Douglas, is all told about in that book, which is mostly a true book, with some stretchers, as I said before. Now the way that the book winds up is this. Tom and me found some money that the robbers hid in the cave, and it made us rich. We got $6,000 apiece, all gold. It was an awful sight of money when it was just piled up. Well, Judge Thatcher, 
He took it and put it out at interest, and it fetched us a dollar a day apiece, all the year round, more than a body could tell what to do with. The widow Douglas, she took me for her son, and allowed she would civilize me, but it was rough living in the house all the time, considering how dismal, regular, and decent the widow was in all her ways, and so when I couldn't stand it no longer, I let out. I got into my old rags and my sugar hogshead again and was free and satisfied. But Tom Sawyer, he hunted me up and said he was going to start a band of robbers and I might join if I would go back to the widow and be respectable. So I went back. The widow, she cried over me and called me a poor lost lamb and she called me a lot of other names too, but... She never meant no harm by it. She put me in them new clothes again and I couldn't do nothing but sweat and sweat and feel all cramped up. Well then, the old thing commenced again. The widow rung a bell for supper and you had to come down to time. When he got to the table, he couldn't go right to eating. But he had to wait for the widow to tuck down her head and grumble a little over the victuals though there weren't really anything the matter with them. That is, nothing, only everything was cooked by itself. In a barrel of odds and ends, it was different. Things get mixed up, and the juice kind of swaps around, and the things go better. After supper, she got out her book and learned me about Moses and bull rushers, and I was in a sweat to find out all about him. But by and by, she let it out that Moses had been dead a considerable long time. And then, I didn't care no more about him, because I don't take no stock in dead people. Pretty soon, I wanted to smoke, and asked the widow to let me, but she wouldn't. She said it was a mean practice, and wasn't clean, and I must try not to do it anymore. That is just the way with some people. They get down on a thing when... They don't know nothing about it. Here she was, bothering about Moses, which was no kin to her and no use to anybody, being gone, you see, yet finding a power of fault with me for doing a thing that had some good in it. And she took snuff, too. Of course, that was all right, because she'd done it herself. Her sister, Miss Watson, a tolerable, slim old maid with goggles on, I'd just come to live with her and took a set of me now with a spelling book. She worked me middling hard for about an hour and then the widow made her ease up. I couldn't stand it much longer. Then, for an hour, it was deadly dull and I was fidgety. Miss Watson would say, don't put your feet up there, Huckleberry, and don't scrunch up like that, Huckleberry, set up straight. And pretty soon she would say, don't gap and stretch like that, Huckleberry. Why don't you try to behave? Then she told me all about the bad place. I said I wished I was there. She got mad then, but I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted to do was go somewhere. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it was wicked to say what I said. Said she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going, 
so I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so, because it would only make trouble. It wouldn't do no good. Now she had got to start, and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever, so I didn't think much of it. I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that, because I wanted to keep him and me together. Miss Watson, she kept pecking at me, and it got tiresome and lonesome. By and by, they fetched the men in and had prayers, and then everybody was off to bed. I went up to my room with a piece of candle and put it on the table. Then I sat down in a chair by the window and tried to think of something cheerful, but it weren't no use. I felt so lonesome, I most wished I was dead. The stars were shining, and the leaves rustled in the woods ever so mournful, and I heard an owl away off hoo-hooing about somebody that was dead and a whippoorwill and a dog crying about somebody that was going to die, and the wind was trying to whisper something to me. I couldn't make out what it was, and so it made the cold shivers run over me. And then away out in the woods I heard that kind of sound that a ghost makes when it wants to tell you about something that's on its mind and can't make itself understood, and so can't rest easy in its grave and has to go about that way every night, grieving. I got so downhearted and scared, I did wish I had some company. Pretty soon a spider went crawling up my shoulder, and I flipped it off and it lit in the candle. Before I could budge, it was all shriveled up. I didn't need anybody to tell me that that was an awful bad sign. That would fetch me some bad luck. So I was scared. I almost shook the clothes off me. I got up and turned around in my tracks three times and crossed my breast every time. And then I tied up a little lock of my hair with a thread to keep witches away. But I had no confidence. You do that when you've lost a horseshoe that you found. Instead of nailing it up over the door, but I had never heard of anybody say it was any way to keep off bad luck when you killed a spider. I sat down again, was shaking all over and got at my pipe for a smoke, for the house was all still as death now, and so the widow wouldn't know. Well, after a long time I heard the clock away off in the town go boom, boom, boom. Twelve licks, and all still again, stiller than ever. Pretty soon I heard a twig snap, down in the dark amongst the trees. Something was stirring. I sat still and listened. Directly I could just barely hear a meow, meow down there. That was good, says I, meow, meow, as soft as I could, and then I put out the light and scrambled out of the window onto the shed. Then I slipped down to the ground and crawled in amongst the trees, and sure enough, there was Tom Sawyer waiting for me. Chapter 2 We went tiptoeing along a path amongst the trees back towards the end of the widow's garden, stooping down so as the branches wouldn't scrape our heads. 
when we was passing by the kitchen. I fell over a root and made a noise. We scratched down and laid still. Miss Watson's servant, named Jim, was sitting in the kitchen door. We could see him pretty clear because there was a light behind him. He got up and stretched his neck out about a minute, listening. Then he says, Who's there? He listened some more. Then he come tiptoeing down and stood right between us. We could have touched him, nearly. Well, likely it was minutes and minutes there. There weren't a sound. And we were all there so close together. There was a place on my ankle that got itching. But I didn't scratch it. And then my ear began to itch. And next my back. Right between my shoulders. Seemed like I'd die if I didn't scratch well, I've noticed that thing plenty of times since. If you are with the quality, or at a funeral, or trying to go to sleep when you ain't sleepy. If you're anywhere where it won't do for you to scratch, why, you will itch all over and upwards of a thousand places. Pretty soon, Jim says, Say, who is you? Where is you? Dog my cats if I didn't hear something. Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down here and listen until I hears it again. So he sat down on the ground betwixt me and Tom. He leaned his back up against a tree and stretched his legs out till one of them most touched one of mine. My nose began to itch. It itched till the tears come to my eyes. But I didn't scratch. Then it began to itch on the inside. Next... I got to itching underneath. I don't know how I was going to sit still. This miserableness went on as much as six or seven minutes, but it seemed a sight longer than that. I was itching in eleven different places now. I reckoned I couldn't stand it any more than a minute longer, but I set my teeth hard and got ready to try. Just then Jim began to breathe heavy, and next he began to snore and then I was pretty soon comfortable again. Tom, he made a sign for me, kind of a little noise with his mouth, and we went creeping away on our hands and knees. When we was ten foot off, Tom whispered to me and wanted to tie Jim to the tree for fun, but I said no. He might wake and make a disturbance, and then they'd find out I weren't in. Then Tom said, he hadn't got candles enough, and he would slip in the kitchen and get some more. I didn't want him to try. I said Jim might wake up and come, but Tom wanted to risk it. So we slid in there and got three candles, and Tom laid five cents on the table for pay. Then we got out, and I was in a sweat to get away, but nothing would do Tom, but he must crawl to where Jim was on his hands and knees and play something on him. I waited, and it seemed a good while. Everything was so still and lonesome. As soon as Tom was back, I cut along the path, around the garden fence, and by and by fetched up on the steep top of the hill on the other side of the house. Tom said he slipped Jim's hat off his head and hung it on a limb right over him. And Jim stirred a little, but he didn't wake. Afterwards, Jim said the witches bewitched him and put him in a trance.
and rode him all over the state, and then set him under the trees again and hung his hat on a limb to show who'd done it. And next time, Jim told it, he said they rode him down in New Orleans, and after that, every time he told it, he spread it more and more, till by and by, he said they rode him all over the world and tired him most to death, and his back was all over saddle boils. Jim was monstrous proud about it, and he got so he wouldn't hardly notice the other servants. Well, when Tom and me got to the edge of the hilltop, we looked away down into the village and could see three or four lights twinkling where there were sick folks, maybe, and the stars over us was sparkling ever so fine, and down by the village was the river, a whole mile broad and awful still and grand. We went down the hill and found Joe Harper and Ben Rogers and two and three more of the boys hid in the old tan yard. So we unhitched a skiff and pulled down the river two mile and a half with a big scar on the hillside and went ashore. We went to a clump of bushes and Tom made everybody swear to keep their secret and then showed them a hole in the hill right in the thickest part of the bushes. Then we lit the candles and crawled on our hands and knees. We went about 200 yards and the cave opened up. Tom poked about amongst the passages and pretty soon ducked under a wall where you wouldn't notice that there was a hole. We went along a narrow place and got into a kind of room all damp and sweaty and cold and there we stopped. Tom says, Now, We'll start this band of robbers and call it Tom Sawyer's gang. Everybody that wants to join has got to take the oath and write his name in blood. Everybody was willing, so Tom got out a sheet of paper that he had wrote the oath on and read it. It swore every boy to stick to the band and never tell any of the secrets. And if anybody done anything to any boy in the band, Whichever boy was ordered to kill that person, his family must do it, and he mustn't eat, and he mustn't sleep, till he had killed them, and hacked a cross in their breasts, which was a sign of the band. And nobody that didn't belong to the band could use the mark. If he did, he must be sued, and if he'd done it again, he must be killed. And if anybody that belonged to the band told the secrets, he must have his throat cut and then have his carcass burnt up and the ashes scattered all around and his name blotted off the list with blood and never mentioned again by the gang, but have a curse put on it and be forgot forever. Everybody said it was a real beautiful oath and asked Tom if he got it out of his own head. He said some of it, but the rest was out of pirate books and robber books and every gang that was high-toned had it. Some thought it would be good to kill the families of boys that told secrets. Tom said it was a good idea, so he took a pencil and wrote it in. Then Ben Rogers says, Here's Huck Finn. He ain't got no family. What are you going to do about him? Well, ain't he got a father, says Tom Sawyer. Yeah, he's got a father, but you can't ever find him these days. He used to lay drunk with the hogs in the tan yard, but he hadn't been seen these parts for a year or more. 
They talked it over, and they was going to rule me out, because they said every boy must have a family or somebody to kill, or else it wouldn't be fair and square for the others. Well, nobody could think of anything to do. Everybody was stumped and sat still. I was most ready to cry. But all at once, I thought of a way, and so I offered them Miss Watson so they could kill her. Everybody said, oh, she'll do, she'll do, that's all right, Huck can come in. Then they all stuck a pin in their fingers to get blood to sign with, and I made my mark on the paper. Now, says Ben Rogers, what's the line of business of this gang? Nothing, only robbery and murder, Tom said. But who are we going to rob? Houses or cattle or... Stuff. Stealing cattle and such things ain't robbery. It's burglary, says Tom Sawyer. We ain't burglars. That ain't no sort of style. We are highwaymen. We stop stages and carriages on the road with masks on and kill the people and take their watches and money. Must we always kill the people? Oh, certainly. It's best. Some authorities think different, but... Mostly it's considered best to kill them. Except some that you bring to the cave here and keep them till they're ransomed. Ransomed? What's that? I don't know, but that's what they do. I've seen it in books. And so of course that's what we've got to do. But how can we do it if we don't know what it is? Why blame it all? We've got to do it. Don't I tell you it's in the books? Do you want to go doing different what's in the books and get things all muddled up oh that's all very fine to say Tom Sawyer but how in the nation are these fellows going to be ransomed if we don't know how to do it to them that's the thing I want to get at now what do you reckon it is well I don't know but perhaps if we keep them till they're ransomed it means that we keep them till they're dead now that's something like, that'll answer. Why couldn't you say that before? We'll keep them till they're ransomed to death. And a bothersome lot they'll be too, eating up everything and always trying to get loose. How you talk, Ben Rogers? How can they get loose when there's a guard over them, ready to shoot them down if they move a peg? A guard? Well, that is good. So somebody's got to set up all night and never get any sleep just so as to watch them. I think that's foolishness. Why can't a body take a club and ransom them as soon as they get here? Because it ain't in the book, so that's why. Now, Ben Rogers, do you want to do things regular or don't you? That's the idea. Don't you reckon that the people that made the books knows what's the correct thing to do? Do you reckon you can learn him anything? Not by a good deal. No, sir. We'll just go and ransom them in the regular way. All right. I don't mind. But I say it's a fool's way anyhow. Say, do we kill the women too? Well, Ben Rogers, if I was ignorant as you, I wouldn't let on. Kill the women? No. Nobody ever saw anything in the books like that. 
You fetch them to the cave, and you're always as polite as pie to them. And by and by, they fall in love with you and never want to go home anymore. Well, if that's the way, I'm agreed. But I don't take no stock in it. Mighty soon we'll have a cave so cluttered up with women and fellows waiting to be ransomed that there won't be no place for the robbers. But go ahead. I ain't got nothing to say. Little Tommy Barnes was asleep now, and when they waked him, he was scared and cried and said he wanted to go home to his ma and didn't want to be a robber anymore. So they all made fun of him and called him Cry Baby, and that made him mad, and he said he would go straight and tell all their secrets. But Tom gave him five cents to keep quiet and said we would all go home and meet next week and rob somebody and kill some people. Ben Rogers said he couldn't get out much, only Sundays, and so he wanted to begin next Sunday. But all the boys said it would be wicked to do it on Sunday, and that settled the thing. They agreed to get together and fix a day as soon as they could, and then we elected Tom Sawyer first captain and Joe Harper the second captain of the gang, and so started home. I clumb up the shed and crept into my window just before day was breaking. My new clothes was all greased up and clayey, and I was dog-tired. Chapter 3 Well, I got a good going over in the morning from old Miss Watson on account of my clothes. But the window, she didn't scold but only cleaned off the grease and clay and looked so sorry that I thought I would behave a while if I could. Then Miss Watson, she took me in a closet and prayed, but nothing came of it. She told me to pray every day, and whatever I asked for, I would get it, but it weren't so. I tried it. Once I got a fish line, but no hooks. They weren't any good to do without the hooks. I tried for the hooks three or four times, but somehow I couldn't make it work. By and by, one day, I asked Miss Watson to try for me, but she said I was a fool. She never told me why, and I couldn't make it out no way. I sat down one time back in the woods, and I had a long think about it. I says to myself, if a body can get anything they pray for, then why don't Deacon Wynn get back the money he lost on pork? Why can't the widow get back her silver snuff box that was stole? Why can't Miss Watson fatten up? No, says I to myself. There ain't nothing in it. I went and told the widow about it, and she said the thing a body could get by praying for it was spiritual gifts. This was too many for me. But she told me what she meant. I must help other people and do everything I could for other people and look out for them all the time and never think about myself. This was including Miss Watson as I took it. I went out in the woods and turned it over in my mind a long time. But I couldn't see no advantage about it except for the other people. So at last I reckoned I wouldn't worry about it anymore. Just let it go. 
Sometimes the widow would take me one side and talk about her providence in a way to make her body's mouth water. But the next day, Miss Watson would take hold and knock it all down again. I judged I could see that there was two providences, and a poor chap would stand considerable show with the widow's providence. But if Miss Watson's got him there, we're no help for him anymore. I thought it all out, and reckoned I belonged to the widows. If he wanted me, though I couldn't make out how he was a-going to be any better off than what he was before, seeing I was so ignorant and so kind of low-down and ornery. Pap, he hadn't been seen for more than a year, and that was comfortable for me. I didn't want to see him no more. He used to always wail me when he was sober and could get his hands on me, though he used to take to the woods most of the time when he was around. Well, by this time he was found in the river drowned, about 12 miles above town, so people said. They judged it was him, anyway. Said this drowned man was just his size, and was ragged, and had uncommon long hair, which was all like Pat but they couldn't make nothing out of the face because it had been in the water so long it weren't much like a face at all. They said he was floating on his back in the water. They took him and buried him on the bank, but I weren't comfortable long because I happened to think of something. I know mighty well that a drowned man don't float on his back, but on his face. So I knowed then this weren't Pat, but a woman dressed up in a man's clothes so I was uncomfortable again I judged the old man would turn up again by and by though I wished he wouldn't we played robber now and then about a month and then I resigned all the boys did we hadn't robbed anybody we hadn't killed any people but only just pretended we used to hop out of the woods and go charging down the hog drovers women in carts taking garden stuff to market, but we never hived any of them. Tom Sawyer called the hogs ingots, and he called the turnips and stuff jewelry, and we would go to the cave and powwow over what we had done and how many people we had killed and marked. But I couldn't see no profit in it. One time, Tom sent a boy to run about town with a blazing stick, which he called a slogan which was the sign for the gang to get together. And then he said he had got secret news by his spies the next day. A whole parcel of Spanish merchants and rich Arabs was going to camp in Cave Hollow with 200 elephants and 600 camels and over a thousand sumter mules, all loaded down with diamonds. They didn't have only a guard of 400 soldiers. And so we would lay in the ambuscade as he called it, and killed a lot and scooped the things. He said we must slick up our swords and guns and get ready. He never could go after even a turnip cart, but he must have the swords and guns all scoured up for it, though they was only lathe and broomsticks, and he might scour at them till he rotted, and they weren't worth a mouthful of ashes more than what they was before. I didn't believe we could lick such a crowd of Spaniards and Arabs. 
but I wanted to see the camels and elephants. So I was on hand the next day, Saturday, in the ambuscade. When we got the word, we rushed out of the woods and down the hill. But there were no Spaniards and Arabs, and there were no camels, nor no elephants, nor anything but a Sunday school picnic, and only a primer class at that. We busted it up and chased the children up the hollow, but we never got anything but some donuts and jam, though Ben Rogers got a rag doll, and Joe Harper got a hymn book and a tract, and then the teacher charged him and made us drop everything and cut. I didn't see no diamonds, I told Tom Sawyer so. He said there was loads of them there, anyway, and he said there was Arabs there too and elephants and things. I said, why couldn't we see them then? He said, if I weren't so ignorant, but I read a book called Don Quixote, I would know without asking. He said it was all done by enchantment. He said, there was hundreds of soldiers there, and elephants and treasure, and so on. But we had enemies, which he called magicians, and they had turned the whole thing into an infant Sunday school just out of spite. I said, all right, then the thing for us to do was to go for the magicians. Tom Sawyer said I was a numbskull. Why, says he, a magician could call up a lot of genies and they would hash you up like nothing before you could say Jack Robinson. They're as tall as a tree and big around as a church. Well, I says, Suppose we got some genies to help us. Can't we lick the other crowd then? How are you going to get them? I don't know. How do they get them? Why they rub an old tin lamp or an iron ring, and then the genies come tearing in, with the thunder and lightning a-ripping around, and the smoke a-rolling, and, and everything they're told to do, they up and do it. They don't think nothing of pulling a shot tower up by the roots and belting a Sunday school superintendent over the head with it, or any man. Who makes them tear around so? Why, whoever rubs the lamp or the ring. They belong to whoever rubs the lamp or the ring. They've got to do whatever he says. If he tells them to build a palace 40 miles long out of diamonds and fill it full of chewing gum, or whatever you want, and fetch an emperor's daughter from China for you to marry. They've got to do it. They've got to do it before sunup the next morning, too. And more, they got to waltz that place around over the country wherever you want it, you understand. Well, says I, I think they're a pack of flatheads for not keeping the palace themselves instead of fooling them away like that. And what's more, if I was one of them, I would see a man in Jericho before I would drop my business and come to him for the rubbing of an old tin lamp. How you talk, Huck Finn. Why? You'd have to come when he... Why? You'd have to come when he rubbed it, whether you wanted to or not. What? And I as high as a tree and big as a church. All right, then. I would come. But I lay I'd make that man climb the highest tree there was in the country. Shucks, it ain't no use talk to you, Huck Finn. 
You don't seem to know anything. Somehow. Perfect saphead. I thought all this over for two or three days. And then I reckoned I would see if there was anything in it. I got an old tin lamp and an iron ring and went out in the woods and rubbed and rubbed till I sweat, calculating to build a palace and sell it. But it weren't no use. None of the genies come. So then I judged that all the stuff was only one of Tom Sawyer's lies. I reckon he believed in Arabs and elephants. But as for me, I think different. It had all the marks of a Sunday school. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.